Throughout the summer, we've been doing a series on ordinary time, and we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke for each lectionary Sunday. And so um, we're excited to pick up what's in this next story of Jesus today. And beginning, I'll read in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up the treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, there are certain passages in the Bible that make me believe that Jesus deeply, deeply understands what it means to be a youth pastor. Yes, there are those passages where the disciples question everything that Jesus does. I'm looking at you, youth. Why are you talking to her? Why are we going there? How are we supposed to do that with this? And then there is the story in the Bible about the devoted mom who loves her two sons and just thinks Jesus should do them a solid and let them sit on Jesus' right and left. And then there is today's passage in Luke chapter 12. See, Jesus is teaching very important, deep, spiritual things. And with thousands gathered, Jesus is speaking with uh, passion and conviction from the heart about these matters when all of a sudden, from the crowd, a man yells a request to Jesus that is completely off-topic, a common occurrence in youth ministry. It reminds me of one of my favorite cartoons by Inky Rickshaw. You see this one, Jesus is preaching to the crowd, he says, be kind to everyone. And then someone from the crowd says, wait, even Gary? Yeah, Gary's the worst. And Jesus responds, look, we've been through this. Yes, be kind to Gary as well. And then a voice from the crowd, ha, told you losers. And Jesus with his hand in his head uh, says, no, yeah, not now, Gary. Not now, Gary. I mean, that's probably what I would have said to Gary too in that moment, hoping that he would just go away and, and we can move on. But Jesus doesn't ignore him. A little frustrated with the distraction, but always the teacher, Jesus seizes the moment for a lesson. Because it was pretty clear the man really hadn't been listening to what Jesus had been saying or teaching. He 
was there physically, but mentally and emotionally, he was distracted. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, where Jesus is trying to teach us something, but yet we are distracted. And so this man's attention was actually focused on money and family drama. You see, he came that day with an agenda, and he asked, even actually demanded, that Jesus address his agenda, justify it, validate his agenda. Now, Jesus in that moment, remembering that he said to be kind to everyone, even Gary, decides to, to tell the man, your question is a distraction. And I have no answer for that question. But I am going to teach you and everyone here a story about the dangers of distractions. Now, right before he gets into the parable, Jesus takes a moment to kind of set the stage with some cautions and some warnings that we see in verse 15. The first is to beware of greed, even the tiniest bit. New Testament Greek scholar William Barclay describes greed as a cursed or like a doomed love of having, which will pursue its own interest with complete disregard for the rights of others and even for the considerations of common humanity. So greed is like this life-taking desire for something or someone that is all-consuming and it's all about you. And Jesus says, beware of greed, even the tiniest bit. And the second warning before his parable is this, that remember that who we are is far more important than what we own. And don't ever get the two confused. Then Jesus tells the story. He tells the story of a rich farmer whose land produced abundantly. Now, don't miss what Jesus said in verse 16 and the way that he said it. He said, the land of the rich man produced abundantly. Jesus was always careful and intentional with his words. I imagine he wants us to hear that that way for a reason. That the farmer's success was not his own doing, despite what he clearly thought. But that there were other players involved. The sun, the rain, the soil, most likely hired hands as well. But the farmer isn't thinking about anyone else, not even God. And that's the crux of the problem. And that is why God calls the farmer a fool. Now, the idea of him being a fool in our context of Western culture may seem a little bit weird. We're taught to be wise and good stewards. We're taught to invest in our future the farmer has a thriving business. He had crops that were abounding. Of course, he'd want to save those up and protect that and save for the future, enjoy his golden years. In fact, in, in the story of Joseph in Genesis, we see Joseph being called wise for storing up food in silos for the future. But there's a difference in the story. You see, the act of saving itself is not the problem. It is the heart the motive, the purpose behind the one who is saving that makes the distinction. It is the priority given to what is possessed that is the problem. The priority given to what is possessed that is the problem. See, Joseph, using his position and provisions, stored the treasure of food to be able to feed others during the anticipated years of drought. 
He was doing it in obedience to God and out of concern and benefit for others that were in need. It wasn't about him or his sense of security. But when the rich farmer tells his story in this parable, he talks only to himself and about himself. Looking in verses 17 through 19, listen to what he says. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And this very short speech, he uses the personal pronouns of I and my 11 times. It shows us where his confidence and security lies. With no thought of God or neighbor, he concludes that the answer is to build bigger barns for his crops and his goods, and then all will be well, and he will be safe and secure in life. If we're honest, there's something really comforting about possessions, right? In June, six from our congregation uh, arrived at the St. Louis airport with our checked bags in hand. We, we said goodbye to them, and we loaded the plane to travel to Kenya to see our partners there. And we were so excited because it had been two years since we'd been with them, and we were eager to return. And so after three flights and like close to 30 hours of travel, we arrived there at the Kenyatta uh, International Airport in Nairobi late at night, and um, after about 40 minutes, we got through customs, ready to go pick up our luggage and get to the hotel for a shower and a bed. And uh, when we got there, there's no luggage. And uh, we went around and we just kind of went by all the conveyor belts, hoping no luggage. We looked at all the discarded luggage around the room. That's people, I don't know who these 50 people are that just left them behind, but we went and checked them all out and looked for our little orange ribbons with the white polka dots. Nothing. And pretty soon the baggage claim guy came out and uh, told us the news we had feared. There were no more bags to unload. So out of our ten check bags, six which were personal for each of us, and then the four were ministry bags, we got two bags. They were both ministry bags. Thank you, Lord. Sports balls, crafts, fruit snacks, and manna from heaven, a large jar of animal crackers. Thank you, Rand. Yep. So I went to the lost luggage counter to make a report, which, by the way, they call property irregularity reports. Um, and I discovered that five of our bags were still in London, and three were still all the way back in Philadelphia, apparently scared to leave the United States. They never made the flight. Definitely property irregularity, right? So we soon discovered that this was a growing and pervasive uh, trend right now in international travel. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, Delta loaded a plane with 1,000 pieces of luggage and flew it to the United States with zero passengers. The whole goal was just to reunite angry passengers with their lost luggage. Now, as good team leaders, Rand Swanigan and I had prepared the team to pack in their carry-on what they would need for maybe one to two days in case our luggage was delayed or lost. But we didn't prepare them for almost four days of no luggage. And so after working at the children's home for three days with only two more to go and wearing the same outfit, we were finally re reunited with our bags. 
And the team were troopers. They did a great job. And I won't name names, but one person did comment on how uncomfortable it is to wear the same underwear for four days, in case you didn't know, all right? Now, when our luggage did arrive, we all realized the very same thing. We had way overpacked. Even those of us who have been a dozen times, we had way too much stuff that we didn't need. And this whole experience revealed how much security that we place in certain possessions and comforts. Did I wear the same outfit for three days and sleep in the clothes I traveled over in on the airplane? Yes. Was it gross? No, we didn't really sweat or weren't that dirty. Did anyone at the children's home care? No. Many of them wore repeat outfits because that was their possessions. Did it prevent me from being present with people in the mission while we were there? Absolutely not. Will I remember this the next time I pack for an international trip? I really hope so. The gift of lost luggage was the invitation to check where our true security lies. Does it rest in my possessions, the things I surround myself with? Or the larger question, does it rest in my ability to control my own life, to provide for myself? Does our security rest instead in God? Do we trust God to provide what we need, to be enough for us and for one another? You see, most often the capacity to trust God can only deepen as other matters lessen their grip in our lives. And sometimes the only way that grip is lessened is thanks to British Airways. In Kenya, God provided for all of our needs through our hosts and the people there. They, we were dependent on our hosts to share and to be hospitable, and they were with us. But being dependent on others or on God is something that many of us are incredibly uncomfortable with. The point of Jesus' story about the distracted farmer is really all about priorities. It is about who or what is truly God in our lives and who we depend on rather than what we depend on. It is about how our lives are aligned at the core, either towards ourselves and our passing desires or aligned toward God and love of others. Now, after the rich man figures out his plan and he declares that he can relax, eat, drink, and be merry now, God interrupts this blissful dream of retirement with two words, you fool, you fool. Now, the word occurs elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke one time, in Luke chapter 11, verse 40, in reference to the Pharisees. And it's their foolishness that's associated with greed, again, and with the neglect of justice and love of God. And Psalm 14, 1 tells us that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, in biblical times where nearly everyone believed in multiple gods... This most likely would not have been a belief that God did not actually exist, but rather that God is not here. God is not here in this decision, this moment in my life, and doesn't care about how I live in this choice. And if we hear fool in this understanding, how many of us have acted the fool in life? How many times have we lived as if our day-to-day living our choices, our decisions don't really matter, that God is not here in this, 
and we can do as we please. See, this farmer was a fool because all that he saw was himself. He didn't see God. He didn't see others. Now, friends, it's not that God doesn't want us to save for retirement or future needs. I know I've got financial planners in here that are a little concerned. It isn't that. It's not that God doesn't want us to eat, drink, and be merry. We see Jesus doing that in the gospel with people. But we know that Jesus modeled for us that that was never where his security lays. It was never in those things or possessions or people. Now, Jesus, who always sees past our words and our behaviors and our heart, to our hearts, knows what is truly at the root of greed. It's about fear and anxiety. It's rooted there. So Jesus, after this parable in Luke chapter 12, he continues in a more hopeful, compassionate way in the story. That's not part of our lectionary, but really should be. Because it's Jesus showing compassion, saying, I know you're doing this, you're, you're in love with these possessions, and I know where it stems from, and I want to address it. And so right after, in verse 32, picking up where we live off today, Jesus tells this story and tells us to look to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and seeing how well God takes care of them, that we can trust God who values us so much more to provide for us as well. You see, Jesus speaks to our fear of scarcity with the promise that it is the Father's good pleasure to, res- to give us the kingdom as God's children. And Jesus says that the way to receive that kingdom isn't the earthbound, inward-looking, life-taking way of the rich farmer, but the life-giving way of Christ to love God and others with generosity and with joy. The distracted man in the crowd, asking Jesus about his earthly inheritance, led to the story of a distracted farmer consumed with his earthly riches and providing for his own security. And both stories lead us to think about the distractions of today. Beware of distractions, Jesus says. Beware of possessions, people, positions, Praise, privilege, political party or politician. Beware of anything or anyone that has become our source of safety and security. Anything that we have made our Savior other than Jesus Christ. Beware of anything or anyone that leads us to be concerned only with ourselves and to disregard others. Remember Jesus' warning at the beginning of this story. Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Be on guard against anything or anyone that we trust more than God, anything that we love more than God and others. Because you see, the sin is not in the possessing. The sin consists in making it the reliance and the objects of our heart. You know, it's been said, I think Chesterton that said, there are two ways to get enough in this world. And the first is to accumulate more and more and more and more. And the other is to desire less. If we struggle to trust God is enough, 
If we realize that our mind is set on things below rather than things above. If we find ourselves anxious and afraid, grasping to things and people, may we remember the birds and the lilies. May they be our teachers. Jesus says God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? Perhaps it is indeed good to lose our luggage every once in a while in order to find freedom. The third verse of one of my favorite hymns, Be Thou My Vision, says this. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Friends, there's only one inheritance that matters, only one treasure that we need. There's only one kingdom that we belong to, and only one king who must be first in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you the highest praise because you are worthy of all praise and glory, and honor. We thank you for loving us, for correcting us, for instructing us through the stories of our faith and through the words of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to value you as our most precious Savior, our King, and our friend. Protect us. Protect us from all forms of greed from desiring the things of the world that are beyond our needs, which you alone provide. God, give us wisdom to see where our greed comes from truly and courage to lessen our grip on the things that do not matter so that we might grasp tightly to you. Lord, search our hearts and reveal to us through your spirit how we might be like the rich fool how we might be distracted, God. Give us a renewed and passionate love for you and for the ways of the kingdom and an unquenchable desire for justice and love for our neighbor. Creator of all, the birds and the flowers and us, your beloved, by your grace may we be good stewards of all that you have entrusted to us. And may we be fruitful and faithful servants of your kingdom. Amen. During this time, it's a time of response, and that can be right from your seat. This is, this is the important part of the service, where we think about what the Spirit is saying to us this morning, what God has brought to truth into our lives. And so the band's going to play some music. We're going to invite you just to reflect for a while. And if you have something that you would like to pray with uh, me or one of the deacons with, or if you have a decision to follow Christ, that you've realized that you've been dependent on other things in your life, um, that you have found or tried to find security in something other than Christ, and you realize it has never worked, it has never been enough, and things are still shaky and unsettled, we would love to tell you more about Jesus. And if you're looking for a church home to be a part of and want to be a part of First Baptist Church, this imperfect community that is trying to be kingdom followers together, 
we invite you to visit with us at this time. As they sing, if you would like to visit with someone, you may come back outside this area to the back of the sanctuary. A couple of us will be there to meet you while we sing. And again, we invite all of you from your seats to respond to what the Lord might be doing in your life today.